0: Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Greek word for pure is katharos. It means to be clean, blameless, unstained from guilt. Interestingly, the word can refer specifically to that which is purified by fire or by pruning. John the Baptist told people that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Malachi speaks of the Messiah as being like a refiner's fire. The Greek word for heart is cardia. This can be applied to the physical heart, but it also refers to the spiritual center of life. It is where the thoughts, desires, sense of purpose, will, understanding, and character reside. So to be pure in heart means to be blameless in who we actually are. Being pure in heart involves having a singleness of heart towards God. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. The pure heart is marked by transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God. It is more than an external purity of behavior, it is an internal purity of the soul. The only way that we can be truly pure in heart is to give our lives to Jesus and ask Him to do the cleansing work.
1: Well, here we are on the sixth beatitude. It's amazing how quickly all of this is going. Uh, we're looking at blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Just, uh, just a couple weeks ago, a man by the name of J.I. Packer passed away. Uh, J.I. Packer had a, a massive impact on my life. He wrote a book called Knowing God. I read it when I was 20 years old. Still hadn't completed Bible school, but somebody had told me about it, and i got to tell you that it absolutely revolutionized my understanding of who God is. But even more than that, it helped me understand the gospel and what it means to be in the ministry. So J.I. Packer was concerned about the condition uh, of the church, and, um, and this, is, this is what he said. He said, the whole perspective and emphasis of gospel preaching has changed. He says, whereas the chief aim of the old gospel was to teach people to worship God, the concern of the new gospel seems limited to making people feel better. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. Because definitely in North America, it's, it's as if we have tried to use the world's ways, the world's philosophy of selling our wares. The problem with this, of course, is that we're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be separated from the world. In fact, we're supposed to be functioning according to a wisdom that is not of this world. So J.I. Packer says the old way of preaching the gospel was to direct people, to teach people to worship God, to fear God, to be concerned about pleasing God to be concerned about bringing glory to his name. The new way, J.I. Packer points out, is to try to make people feel better, to make them feel happy, to make them feel uh, successful, peaceful, joyful, whatever you want to say. The subject of this new gospel preaching, he says, is is to get God to help people. And by helping people, It's to bring them peace and comfort, happiness, satisfaction. And unfortunately, too little is focused on glorifying God. So here's what he says. Here's a quote. It was always and essentially a proclamation of divine sovereignty in God's mercy and in God's judgment. A summons, a call to bow down and worship the mighty Lord on whom man depends for nature and for his grace, the center is unambiguously God, not man. Jay Packer is absolutely correct. A problem with Christianity in North America now is that we have put man at the center. And this is why... The church is dying in North America. Look at the numbers. You'll see it yourself. For, for decades, for, for uh, uh, many decades, we saw the church growing. We saw the church uh, adding numbers uh, to, to, their, to their various churches. Pe- people, people's hearts were touched by God. But now we have forgotten God We've put the emphasis on man, and we've taken the emphasis off of God. Old gospel preaching pointed out that our primary problem was sin in our hearts. The new gospel, which is not a gospel at all, wants to make people feel good about themselves. And so churches don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about how. They don't want to talk about judgment. They only want to talk about how they can make you feel better when you go home from church or after you've heard your sermon. Well, folks, this is simply not the gospel. We need to understand that the problems that we have, the problems that we are facing, are 100% heart problems. It's a problem with our own heart. Problems in marriages, problems in families, problems in business almost always is a heart problem when we forget about God, when we forget about what it means to submit to God, to live by the Beatitudes that we've already gone through, that's when we start having problems. And so Jesus wants us to understand today what our real problem is, and it is absolutely a heart problem. We need to go back to our roots to look at what the early church did in order to see the magnificent growth that it experienced in the first centuries. And any time in the history of the church, whenever the church has grown, whenever it's seen explosive growth, the emphasis is not on people. It's not on man and making him feel good. It's not on helping people with the help of God. It's about pointing to God and glorifying him. Understand this, the impure heart will never see God. The man, the woman who has an impure heart will not go to heaven. It's impossible for someone with an impure heart to go into the presence of Almighty God. Impurity can never dwell in the presence of a pure and holy God. And so for this reason, Jesus teaches us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And as it says in the New Living Translation, almost exactly the same, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now when I read this, I'm imagining that some of you are thinking, well, who on earth can ever see God? Because if you're honest, if we're all honest, we know that our hearts are not pure. We know what, what our problem is, and it absolutely is our heart. Now, what does the Bible say about your heart? What does the Bible say about my heart? Well, Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, no wonder Jesus says, From the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Of course, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees or speaking about the Pharisees in Matthew 15. The, The Pharisees believed the thing that made them holy was the ceremonial cleaning and making sure that they didn't break any laws. But Jesus is saying, it's not what's on the outside that matters, it's what's in the heart that matters. Because you can be perfect in all your ways, but your heart can be wicked and dead. In fact, Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. On the outside they looked fantastic, but inside they were dead. So, it's from the heart that comes evil. And Paul said basically the same thing in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, but because your heart is stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Look, until you and I are converted, until our hearts have been washed clean, until we have been transformed, The Bible is clear that we face terrible punishment. This is what we just read in Romans chapter 2. No wonder Jesus says, then, blessed are the pure in heart. You can see why. Those who are pure in heart will not see terrible punishment. They shall see God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And maybe you're sitting here right now wondering if, in fact, you will see God. Well, my prayer today as we go through the Word is that you will be clear in your own heart whether or not you will be seeing God or not. Will you see terrible punishment or will you see God? Really, that is, that is the choice that's before us. And I wonder what what the Holy Spirit is saying to you at this very moment. And i got to remind you that When we talk about blessed, blessed means happy, but it means a supernatural happiness that comes from God. We talked about that last Sunday. C.S. Lewis says that you can get happy from a bottle of wine. You can get happy from a bottle of booze. We're not talking about that kind of happiness. We're talking about a supernatural happiness that comes from knowing that you have God's approval, that God is smiling upon you. We talked about, a, about, about our children last week. As a child looks for the approval of his or her parents, and then once that child has received that approval, knows great joy, great delight. Well, that's what we're talking about. A happiness that comes from knowing that you have God's approval. Now, Jesus says it's impossible to see God. It's impossible to know God. It's impossible to fellowship with God unless you're pure in heart. So the question is this, how can we be pure in heart, especially since Jesus has declared that it's out of the heart that that comes all evil. And Paul says the same thing and Jeremiah says the whole thing. How on earth can we be pure in heart? How can we be holy? And this is an important question because, as the Hebrews points out in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, uh, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No holiness means no heaven. So the psalmist gives us a hint, gives us a clue. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 5 says, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? And by the way, when you read through the Psalms, whenever you read about the mountain of the Lord, that is. uh, an ancient way of describing God's presence. Any, any Jewish person reading this would understand that the psalmist is talking about the presence of God. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? And then he answers it in verse 4, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. So, what does this mean to be pure and to be holy? I think most of us have got a pretty good idea of what it means, but in case you're not sure, let me just say this. To be pure and holy means that you are untouched by filth, and by impurity, by darkness, by evil. Now, the fact is is that we are surrounded by it. You just have to turn on the television and it's just a matter of minutes before some kind of filth is coming over the airwaves and into your home and sadly into the hearts of many people watching. To be pure and to be holy means that you're not allowing that filth, that dirt, that ugliness, that darkness to enter your heart. To be pure means that you're transparent before God and men. In other words, you're not two-faced. What you see is what you get. To be pure means that you're guileless, that you don't have false motives or or bad motives, wrong motives. It means that you are, are, are totally honest before God and totally honest before others. It means that you are completely disconnected from this world. Or as Jesus says to his disciples, you are in the world but not of the world to be of the world means that you have embraced the philosophies the ideas the, even the governance of this world as though the world could solve your problems and its problems but we know the world has never been able to solve her problems and we have seen it for well I've seen it my whole life and if you're a student of history, you know that history only proves that humans can never get it right. Lori and I lived in Greece for about four years, and one of the things the Greeks love to do is to talk about their golden past, but the golden era of Greece only lasted about 50 years, uh, and then it was over. Um, h- humans just can't get it right. Folks, this is really what the church is all about. We're declaring that this world needs a Savior. And and as Christians, we understand that the first person who needs a Savior is me. And you're willing to admit that, willing to confess that. I'm the one that needs a Savior. I'm the one with the impure heart. God change me. Right now, the whole world is in turmoil. We're busy judging people and condemning people and trying to find fault with one another and pointing to people with all their sins and all the things that they are doing wrong. But I'm going to tell you, the Christian doesn't function that way. We're not busy pointing fingers at people. We're looking at ourselves and saying, God, it's me. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one with an impure heart. I'm the one that needs to be transformed. God, change me. Help me. Save me. Purify me. Now, can you imagine if we, the world, would understand this truth and take it to heart? The world would be changed instantly. In fact, we have seen times through the history of mankind when when people turn to god we we talk about these times as revival revivalist times one of the places i love to visit i try to go once a year i can't do it in 2020 but for years i've been going to wales wales is a land that experienced a number of revivals and when a revival came to a community Crime crime came to a halt. People quit going to bars. Lives were transformed. Uh, Families were healed. Marriages were healed. It literally transformed a society, a culture, because these hearts now have been touched by God. These hearts now have become pure because each one has come to God in surrender, recognizing his or her sin. The Apostle Paul warns Christians, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. He says, therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. You want revival in your life? Then there's some mighty transformation that needs to take place in your life and in your family, in your marriage come out from among unbelievers. Some of us are so tangled, entangled in this world, that we don't know what is right and what is wrong anymore. And if we do, we, we kind of ignore it and think, oh, well, it doesn't matter, I, I, it, it won't change me. But the fact is, is it does change you. When you don't guard your heart, when you don't guard your mind, When you allow any manner, all manner of filth and evil to enter into your heart, it does change you. God says, or or Paul reminds us, that God is not marked. That that we reap what we sow. If you are allowing the the evil of this world to remain in fellowship with you, you will be changed by that evil. We do reap what we sow. And so Jesus tells us, look, if you are pure in heart, then you will see God. Seeing God is a reward for those who are pure in heart. Now I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Because if you receive this reward from having a pure heart, it means that when we look to the future, you are going to see God. You're going to be spending your eternity in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're pure in heart, you're going to heaven. If you're not pure in heart, you're not going to heaven. You will come under the terrible punishment that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 2. But if you're pure in heart, you're going to heaven. But wait, it gets even better. Because now we can address our past. The past is washed away as far as the east is from the west. That's how far God removes your sin from you when you put your faith in Christ, when your heart has been purified. So regarding the future, you're going to heaven. Regarding the past, your sins are gone, washed away. You may remember them, but God does not. That's the gospel. But what about the present? What about right now? Well, right now, here's what happens. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God began when Christ came and heralded or announced that the kingdom of God was at hand. It was, that was the beginning of that kingdom, and the kingdom now will go on for eternity. And if you are a Christian today, you are part of the kingdom of God. You are going to see God. But let me not just talk about the future. Let's talk about right now. If you're in the kingdom of God, if you are a member of the, of the family of God, let's call it that, then you are going to experience and know God right here and right now. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. You can experience God right here and right now. Uh, I was reading some uh, of Martin Lloyd-Jones talking about the ways that we see God. The way God reveals himself. He talks about how uh, for a believer, he can see God in nature like nobody else can. He talked about how we see God in the word and, and how the Holy Spirit reveals God to us in, in thousands of ways. Through, through promptings in your heart. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Through thousands of, of little kindnesses. You get a phone call and somebody wants to help you, someone wants to be kind to you. Why? Because God has moved in someone's heart to reach out and help you. And we've had a number of people that we've been able to, to, to channel God's blessings to. to um, uh, and, and we are the ones through whom God, God uses to channel those blessings. That's God. Those who are pure in heart will see God. God will reveal himself and show himself in very powerful ways. But you have to be pure in heart. Now, I'm going to explain to you more in just a moment how you can know for sure whether or not you're pure in heart and how you can be pure in heart. But I want to point out to you a very sad fact. Most Christians today, and I said this already, because they are so entangled with the world, They don't have the ability or the insight that comes from the Holy Spirit to see God, to know God, to understand God. They they read the Word, and and I've heard people say, I read the Word, but it doesn't say anything to me. It's empty. And I know a lot of people who don't ever read the Word. And I I suspect it's because when you pick it up, nothing happens. And the reason nothing happens is, is because of this. You've allowed sin to be welcome in your home through the internet, through television, whatever, through your conversation. The minute that you are tainted by sin, then, folks, I'm going to tell you, you stop seeing God. And that's why when you read the Word, it, it's, it's empty. It's not telling you anything. I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now. Because if you want to see God, if you want to hear from God, if when you read the Scripture, you want the Scripture to speak to you, then it's critical that you have a pure heart, that your heart rejects what is evil and embraces what is pure and holy. Some of you are backslidden right now. Some of you, you're not excited about your faith. You're, you're lukewarm, or worse, you're, you're, you're stone cold, you're cold. You're paralyzed. It's because of this, a lack of a pure heart. Now, I'm not judging you or condemning you. I'm telling you the truth to set you free. When you know the truth, the truth sets you free. God wants you to see him. God wants to be known by you. The greatest thing, the greatest pursuit of your life will be to see God and to know God. So you have to make sure that your heart is pure, that your heart is right with God, that you are not entertaining or nursing sin. You cannot allow impurity to fill your heart or else you will not see God. You will not see God now in the present. The past will haunt you. And you will have no assurance concerning your future. Do you see how this works? So, I want to tell you a story about Israel. Israel had been wandering in the wilderness. They are desperate to enter the land that God had promised them. And as they're roaming, wandering in the wilderness... There was a king by the name of Balak. Balak of the Moabites. He was terrified. And the people of Moab were terrified of Moses uh, and the Israelites. Why? Well, obviously they were great in number, but even more importantly, the reputation of the God of Israel was known among them. They knew The God of Israel always fought for his people. God always delivered his people. Israel was invincible because of their God. And I want the Spirit to speak to you right now. Because some of you have been struggling in your life, struggling in your walk with God, and things haven't been going right Here's Israel, the the reputation of their God, the God of the Israelites was very well known. And God helped them and walked with them and all the enemies of Israel were were terrified. Well, Balak, wondering what can he do? How can he conquer these people? He knew obviously that he couldn't fight them because the God of Israel was too strong. So Balak calls on the help of Balaam. Balaam is a prophet. We don't know a lot about him, but we do know that he was an evil man. And Balak said to Balaam, look, I'm going to make you a very wealthy man. All you have to do is go and curse the Israelites. Because if you curse the Israelites, that means that bad will come to them. It means that they will become powerless. Well, Balak said, look, I I can't curse the Jews. It's impossible. Uh, I I can only prophesy what God allows me to prophesy. Well, some of you know the story. Balaam went and he tried to curse the Israelites, but when he began to speak, rather than, than cursing them, he ended up blessing them. In fact, some of those blessings are still remembered in Jewish prayers at certain times of the years. That's, that's how powerful these, these prophecies were. Well, Balaam was unsuccessful. Balak, the king of Moab, was furious. And Balaam, scratching his head, trying to figure out how on earth can I get my money? (laughs) He wanted desperately to get money from the king of Moab. And finally, he figured out a way. And he spoke to the king, and he said, here's what you need to do. You need to get your people to entice the Jews away from their God. Entice the Israelites away from their God and their holy ways. Pollute them. Make them impure. And then watch what will happen. Well, it worked. Many were enticed and were disabled. Did you get that? They were disabled by the evil that they embraced. And in Numbers 25, verses 1 to 3, the Moabites invited the people of Israel to sacrifice to their gods. This is an evil that it just it's mind blowing. It's staggering, this evil. The the Israelites who have been delivered out of Egypt now were offering sacrifices to these false gods. And it says further that the people of Israel, they ate and they bowed down to these gods. And it says, so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. What do you think God's going to do? Well, I'll tell you, these people now are no longer pure in heart. And they are certainly not going to see God. But here's what they are going to say. Remember what Paul said about the terrible punishment. In Numbers 25, 3 9, it says The anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And 24,000 people died of plague. And it was due to rebellion and the resulting filth and impurity that entered Israel. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. The reason there's so much struggling and death and dying, and I'm talking in spiritual terms now, is because we allow impurity into the camp, impurity into the church, impurity into our marriages, into our homes, into our families. God will not sit back and do nothing. And the reason is, and this might shock you, is not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Sometimes we need to go through this kind of pain and suffering in order for us to turn to God, to cry out to him, to recognize and understand what's going on. This is why Israel went into exile, because they forgot about God. Their hearts had become impure. They were dabbling in, in, in all kinds of false religion, all kinds, all manner of evil, and they didn't even know it. They were still very religious. They were going to the temple, making their, off, uh, their offerings and their sacrifices, but it was all mechanical, like the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, but inside they were dead. Listen, let the Spirit of God speak to you, because I'm going to tell you, it, it doesn't take much for us to be exactly the same as the Pharisees. Impurity and rebellion open the door to death and curses. Impurity, my friends, disables us. And worse, it, it blinds you to God. You cannot see God when your heart is impure. God is calling us to be a holy people. Remember what I, I began with J.I. Packer? That, that was the old gospel preaching, that was what I grew up with. As a boy. That was the preaching I heard. There was a sense of awe in the mighty presence of God, and there was the fear of God that gripped our hearts. Those were the days when many were getting saved. But I'm going to tell you, the numbers tell us now that that church growth does not happen because of salvation. It happens because people are moving from church to church to church. It's Vitally important, my friends, that you understand how important it is that you protect your heart. Someone once said, and well, this is when in the early days of computers, it was said garbage in and garbage out. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual principle as well. You feed garbage in and that's what comes out. So, when our hearts are impure, it blinds us to God. We can't see God and furthermore, we don't even fear God. That's what happened to these Israelites. They were, they were so enticed by the Moabites and the, their pagan evil ways. They couldn't see God. They, they didn't fear God. They forgot about God. God was not important. Boy, does that, does that sound like 2020 in North America? People don't fear God. They're not afraid of God. They mock God. Well, I'm going to tell you, the impure in heart will never see God. Let the Spirit speak to you right now. I'm going to tell you, this is, in fact, the condition of every human who is unconverted. If you're unconverted, you will never see God. So what's the answer? Well, god says in in the old testament in the pentateuch and it's repeated in in hebrews be holy because i am holy why does god say that be holy because i am holy well for the very simple reason that it is impossible for a holy god to have relationship with unholy men and women it's not possible it's not possible for the unholy to be in the presence of holy. Holy would consume the unholy, would, would completely consume it. And so for this reason, my friends, God sent his son Jesus into this world, and Christ himself invites us to put our faith in him. Why? Because he is holy. Because he Our Lord Jesus Christ is pure in heart. Listen to this. I'm going to read to you a verse that everybody knows. You learned this. But what what happens so often when we're memorizing memory verses, we don't know the verses around it. John 3, 16, and you could just say it off the top of your head, but listen to it now. Just listen. Listen to it. And then listen to the verses following. I'm reading John 3, 16 to 21. And Jesus himself says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Did you get that? The way that you're going to see God, the way that you're going to have a pure heart, is by believing in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says... You are righteous. You take on the righteousness of Christ. Abraham believed God, and it was attributed to him as righteousness. This is what we're saying here. Put your faith in God. Believe him, and you will not perish. And Jesus goes on to tell us why. He says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Jesus. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. How do we have a pure heart? How do we see God? How do we have the hope of eternity? How can we experience God and see God right now? By putting your faith in Christ by believing Jesus and doing what he says. And then Jesus says, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Hey, it's out of the abundance of the heart that you act and that you speak. It's out of the heart comes evil, Jesus tells us. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. I know a lot of people are afraid to go to church, and that's why. Because they know that they're going to encounter God. But Jesus says, those who do what is right Come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Powerful. What does God want? He wants you to have a pure heart. And how do you have it? By putting your faith in Jesus. How do you know whether you put your faith in Christ? Well, you've probably at some point have prayed and asked God to forgive of your sins. You've asked God to help you turn from your old way of life to your new way of life, that's called repentance, remember? we were going that direction, now we're going in this direction. Now we're going the way that Jesus calls us to go. That's how we know. But even more than that, Jesus says, if you love me, if you put your faith in me, you'll obey my commands. Now, there's some people that have this notion or this idea that the Sermon on the Mount was only for the Jews, that it was not for us, that Jesus preached for the Jews and the Apostle Paul preached for the Gentiles. I'm going to tell you that is a gross, gross misunderstanding of the Scripture, and it's a twisting of Scripture. This notion or this idea that we're no longer under law, we're under grace, and therefore we can live as we please, is, again, a gross misunderstanding of Scripture, which I need to correct for you today. You can't live like hell and expect that God's going to be okay with that. And you can't just say, oh, well, God's grace is sufficient for me. No. Well, yes, God's grace is sufficient for you, but I'm going to tell you that the... That the evidence that you put your faith in God and trusting in God's grace is that you are obeying him and following him and doing what he wants you to do. It means that you are no longer going on living sinfully. We are not under the law. No, we are under grace, obviously. But understand this, God uses the law to teach us how to live. Jesus himself said, don't you think for a minute that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets? He says, I've come to fulfill it. Jesus didn't come to abolish it. This is what Christians, many Christians understand that. Some pastors are preaching that. It's nonsense. We do not reject the laws of God. This is called antinomianism. This is a heresy. The church dealt with this hundreds of years ago you say, well, how do I reconcile this? Well, the best way is, is, a, is a definition that I heard or an explanation that I heard from the Puritans. The law sends us to Christ to be justified, and then Christ sends us back to the law to be sanctified. What a brilliant way to explain and to help us synthesize and understand this truth of grace and law. The law can never save us. We know that. No no man, no woman, no child has ever been able to fulfill all the demands of the law except Jesus Christ. So Paul makes it clear in the book of Romans that the law does not save us. But what it does is it sends us to Christ. It helps us to understand that we can't do this. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to help me? Ah, thanks be to God, it's Jesus Christ. And it's Christ who makes it possible for me to be justified. What does that mean, to be justified? Very simply, it means to be made righteous by God, to be declared righteous. To be declared that you have a pure heart. Hallelujah. You have a pure heart through Jesus Christ. He's the one that justifies you. He's the one who purifies your heart. He's the one that makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He's the one that makes it possible for us to spend eternity with him. He's the one that makes it possible for us to experience God right here and right now. And then it says, Christ sends us back to the law to be sanctified. What does that mean? Sanctification is that process whereby God makes us pure, makes us holy, makes us like Jesus. All things work together for good. For whom? For those who belong to God. And why does he do that? To conform us, to make us into the image of his son, Jesus. He's the one who gives us a pure heart. You can't live like hell and expect that God will overlook it. Again, Hebrews 12, verse 14. No holiness no heaven. But you can have a pure heart, my friends. You can have a pure heart through Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying when he came preaching the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read it, please, if you haven't read it yet. Jesus is saying that he makes it possible for us to be the holy people that God wants us to be. If you come to God in humility and in sincerity with sorrow for your sins and repentance, Jesus says this in John 6:37, "Those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them." Hallelujah. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past may be, Jesus invites you to come to him and he says, "I will never reject you." Wow. You will be given a pure heart, a holy heart, and then you will get the reward. You will see God in the future, but now, starting now, starting immediately. If you're a Christian today and you've allowed evil and wickedness into your home, into your heart, into your mind, Let the Spirit of God deal with you right now. Confess your sin and do everything in your power to rid your home, rid your life of that evil because it has now blinded you and you can no longer see God. God is distant from you. You don't know where he is. You don't know why he's not listening to you. It's because you've allowed evil and wickedness into your life. Be done with it today in Jesus' name. Ask God to cleanse you. Let me just say this in closing. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, one of my great heroes. I I bought my first big fat book on the Sermon of the Mount. The first, the first theological work I ever purchased, and that was when I was about 19 years old. I was still I was just starting in Bible school. And this is what he says. He says, To see God is the ultimate goal of every endeavor. To see God is the whole purpose of all religion. Folks, this sums up what Christianity is all about. It is the essence of the Christian position and all Christian teaching. How can I see God? How can I make it to heaven? How can I be free of my guilt and my sin? By getting a pure heart. And Jesus says, happy are you, blessed are you, if you're one of the people that has a pure heart. If you're one of the people who is pure in heart, you are blessed indeed because it means that you belong to God and God will reveal himself to you in ways you can't even imagine. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would give us the grace to see God. God, I am desperate to see you. Our church is desperate for you, oh God. We need a revival in our midst. We need to be shown our sin that our hearts may be set back on course. God, we look at the church, the state of the church in North America right now, and we have to say, we can't see God. It seems as though God is very, very distant. Oh Lord, it's because we've allowed evil in and our hearts have become impure and we've been blinded and incapable of seeing God. Father, do a miracle right now in our hearts. Cleanse us, we pray, of all unrighteousness. Forgive us our sins. And help us, we pray, to cooperate with the leading of the Holy Spirit. We pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. God bless you.